Welcome to Live, Laugh, Talk. And joyful I am to be here with you today. In this episode, we will begin with a topic entitled, Love Thy Neighbor. Then we will transition to our segment, How Did We Get Here? Followed by our hobbies and special interest section, and then conclude with our sunflower message. You're encouraged to share your thoughts on this subject on our website at livelafttalk.com. Email us, admin at livelafttalk.com. If you're listening on Spotify, you can leave a voice memo. You can also leave comments and participate in our poll. And wherever you listen to the podcast, please continue to follow us as you will be notified of new episodes when they're released. And please continue to rate us the highest score as we work so hard to gain your appreciation. The topic that we will begin with is entitled, Love Thy Neighbor. Love Thy Neighbor. That's a concept often associated with treating others with kindness, empathy, and compassion, regardless of differences. It encourages fostering a sense of community, helping one another, and promoting understanding and goodwill among our neighbors. Who are our neighbors? Are they the people who live next door? The ones in our neighborhood? Maybe those who are in our city. How about within our state or our country? How far does this extend? Well, when it's said to love thy neighbor, of course it means those who live in close proximity. But it spans much farther than that. It actually spans the world. Certainly, loving thy neighbor is a moral and ethical principle that can be found in various religious and philosophical teachings. And the Bible is mentioned multiple times. There, it doesn't merely say, love thy neighbor, but it says to love thy neighbor as oneself. What does that mean? Well, have you ever hated yourself? Do you resent yourself? Are you violent with yourself? Do you resist aiding yourself? Are you racist against yourself? See, if you were any of those things against yourself, we would seek psychiatric help for you. We'd get you some type of therapy before you hurt yourself. See, these words involve actively caring for the well-being of those around you. This concept extends beyond mere acquaintanceship and encourages individuals to show respect, support, and consideration for everyone, embracing a sense of unity and shared humanity. By practicing this principle, people can contribute to creating a more harmonious and compassionate society, one that we find hard to see around us today. Yes, the idea of loving thy neighbor emphasizes the importance of looking beyond 
superficial differences, such as cultural, ethnic, or social backgrounds, and focusing on the common values and experiences that connect us as human beings. It encourages us to reach out to those in need, offering assistance and promoting a sense of belonging and inclusivity. Loving thy neighbor, yes. It encourages individuals to practice empathy, active listening, allowing one to better understand the perspectives and challenges of their neighbors. And what is active listening? That's actually listening to others, paying attention to their concerns, making sure that what you say or do does not offend, allowing them to have a perspective as well. Do we see that today? Today, if there's one line of thinking, everybody better get on board. Because if you think different than what is now becoming the norm, you're an outcast. You're looking to be canceled. Once one begins the method of loving thy neighbor, it becomes easier to build meaningful relationships, resolve conflicts, and work together toward common goals. Ultimately, it's a principle that's a reminder to treat others as we would want to be treated, fostering a sense of mutual respect and kindness it can have a positive ripple effect in our communities and beyond. Certainly, it encourages individuals to engage in acts of service, generosity, and selflessness, literally involving the well-being of others before personal gain and striving to make a positive impact on the lives around. And this can manifest in various ways, such as volunteering, offering support during times of difficulty, and sharing resources to uplift the community. In a broader context, embracing the principle of loving thy neighbor can contribute to the creation of a more peaceful and cohesive world. The very opposite of what we see today. It promotes a sense of global citizenship and encourages people to extend their compassion beyond immediate circles to encompass all of humanity. Yes, by treating each other with kindness and understanding, we can collectively work towards solving conflicts, addressing social injustices, and fostering a sense of unity on a global scale. In essence, this is timeless. It's a universal concept that highlights the importance of fostering genuine connections, demonstrating empathy, and actively contributing to the well-being of others in both local and global contexts. Gandhi even referred to it as saying that if we could follow that principle alone, the world would be a better place. That's exactly what we're talking about today. But not just the world, 
let's look at us as individuals. How can loving thy neighbor affect us? Well, see, this would involve practicing forgiveness and understanding. Once we're able to forgive other people, it don't necessarily stop with just we're building that relationship with that person. But see, it betters us as a person. Well, how? Because we're, we're freed. We're no longer a slave to hate. We're no longer a slave to whatever that person did to us. And we're fostering all of those bad feelings. It encourages us to let go of grudges, judgments, prejudices, and instead approach interactions with other human beings with an open heart and a willingness to see the humanity in others. Yes, this can lead to healthier relationships, sure. Also improved communication and a more harmonious coexistence. Furthermore, this extends beyond individual actions to societal structures and policies. It calls for advocating for social justice, advocating for equality, advocating for the fair treatment of all members of society. This may involve standing up against discrimination, supporting policies that uplift marginalized communities, and actively working to address systemic issues that continue to perpetuate inequality. And it's not a one-time thing. It's not a, this happens, so I'm going to pick up my protest sign, and then I'm going to go out here and fight against inequality. This is something that we will do on a daily basis because it becomes a part of us, because we care about our neighbor. And think about this. If one loves thy neighbor, would we even have inequality? Would we even have social injustices? Would we even have treatment of members of society that's just frankly unfair? Will we have the violence that we have today that's on a rampage? Will we have the hate that we see building and growing day by day? Embodying the principles of this love will mean that individuals and communities can contribute to a more compassionate, inclusive, and just world where everyone's dignity and rights are respected and upheld. It also invites us to practice honor and humility. We need to recognize that we all are interconnected and interdependent no one is superior or inferior to another. If we approach interactions with humility, no matter where we are or where we go, we'll find that we can create an atmosphere of mutual respect and genuine dialogue where diverse perspectives are valued and considered, not revolted. Additionally, 
if we love each other. This will prompt us to actively seek opportunities for collaboration and cooperation. And imagine how that will not only affect you with your neighbors, those who are in close proximity to you, but what about those that you interact with, those that you work with? If you're willing to collaborate and cooperate at your job, imagine how much better that place of employment would be. Because when we're working together, we can achieve greater outcomes and tackle challenges more effectively than if we stay apart. This sense of unity can lead to the creation of stronger communities where individuals come together to support one another and work towards shared goals. In this rapidly changing world, Embracing the concept of genuinely loving thy neighbor remains relevant as it encourages us to navigate differences, uncertainties, and complexities with grace and compassion. It's a reminder that by treating each other with kindness, empathy, and a willingness to learn from one another, we can contribute to a more harmonious and interconnected global society. Further, we will find that we ourselves as individuals will be happier as well. Because when we are able to treat others as we wish to be treated, and if we're able to do that on a daily basis, those days become weeks, those days become months and years, we're better people. We're bettering ourselves. And in doing that, we're an asset to our community. And we can further this world in a harmonious fashion. Many of us awaken, and the question that we have regarding food is, what are we going to eat? What do you want to eat, kids? What do you want to eat, honey? That's the question. The question that we may not be asking ourselves, that unfortunately many others are forced to ask, is if we're going to eat. Hunger and food insecurity are real issues for many American families. With a total population of approximately 330 million people, roughly 12% are food insecure. Now, what does it mean to be food insecure? Well, that means that the family may not have enough food to get by. So one or two members of the family may have to eat less so that the others can eat. There's a struggle of some kind 
going on. So it's called food insecurity. When we don't have reliable or steady access to food, it causes amazing problems. We're going to talk about some of those problems. We're going to also talk about some of the statistics. 12% of the population in the U.S., as mentioned, struggle with hunger. How many people is 12% of the 330? That's 41 million people. 41 million people in the world's richest and strongest nation struggle with hunger. 38 million Americans struggle with poverty. Households with children that are headed by a single woman have the highest rate of food insecurity. And unfortunately in America, that's most households. Children with a single parent that's female. 16.7% of all children do not know where their next meal is coming from. 22 million children rely on schools for their meals. And what about our senior citizens? Well, they experience food insecurity as well as 12% are finding it hard to eat. Poverty is directly correlated to hunger. We see the poverty rate going down, yet the rates of hunger seem to be staying average or in some cases getting worse. Even though there's a correlation between the two, still eating is a problem. Eating is a necessity. It's not a luxury. Yet in American households today, many are finding it a struggle. The distress from having, not having enough food, I should say, is the fact that health declines. There are developmental delays in our children. Behavioral issues. Decreased productivity. And we know this to be the fact, if you're hungry, how are you going to be able to work? If you're hungry, how are you going to be able to concentrate in school? If you're hungry, how is your body going to survive? So yeah, that's going to be health issues. Chronic hunger is directly correlated with the number of Americans living at or below the poverty line. That poverty line is for a family of four, $25,750. Within that, it's estimated that we have 40 million people living in poverty. And we talk about who's most affected by hunger. We talked about adults being around 49%, children are 41%. That's 90% of the pie struggling from hunger. Who's the other 10%? That's our seniors. They make up the other part of that pie. As a real issue with our kids, 
Six out of seven are hungry and eat less during the summer because they're no longer getting school lunches. 45% of food stamp users are the SNAP program. Children. 23.8% of children live below the poverty line. And 22 million of these kids rely on those lunch meals from school for food. Can you imagine what happened during the coronavirus? Some states were able to still send food to the children while they were at home. But what a sad situation. And teachers take notice too. When students don't have enough quality food intake, there's developmental or cognitive delays. They, not be able, they may not be able to focus or exhibit behavioral problems while they're there. While hunger is a complex topic, 62% of school teachers say that at least one child in their classes come to school hungry. We live in a nation where a quarter of our nation is at a poverty level, as mentioned. And that poverty level is overwhelmed with minorities, but it doesn't stop there. It's overwhelmed with women. Houses with children headed by a single woman, as I mentioned at the onset of this, is 27.8% of the, of the situation that we're talking about with hunger. Houses with children headed by a single man is 16%. Men living alone is 12.5%. Women living alone, 14.2%. So it varies throughout. The point of the matter is, is that we have individuals having to make a decision of if they're going to be able to eat in a country where we have billionaires and many, many millionaires. So it's not like our country is a poor country. It's not a third world country, but our poverty level and our hunger level would beg to differ. Do you know that States that have the most prevalence of food insecurity are some states where you would think the least. Like when I stop and think about some good eating, a good place to eat, first place comes to my mind might be yours too, is Louisiana. Oh man, you just see all the cooking shows come out of Louisiana, all the good food. Louisiana has an 18% rate of food insecurity. People struggling with not having reliable access to good nutritious foods. It's actually the second state in the country. The highest state is Mississippi at 18.7. And then we have food deserts. And what do we mean by food desert? There are 23.5 million Americans who live in what's called a food desert. That means that they don't have a vehicle and they live more than a half mile away from a grocery store. Now, when we stop and we process that, have you ever driven through an area that's an impoverished area, low income? If you have, 
have you looked around? Did you look around and see how many grocery stores were there? Usually none. The big name grocery stores don't open up in impoverished areas because they're afraid of death, they say. That's their number one reason. Oh, well, we're afraid that people will steal. So they don't even bother opening there. So we're finding people who are in poverty, don't even have an access to a vehicle and have to travel over a half a mile just to get food. Some of them walking. We have food banks now, 200 food banks. In 1980, we had 24. We have 200 food banks. And if you've ever worked in one of these food banks, you will find yourself a busy person. Now, these food banks in America supply enough food to 63,000 food pantries and shelters in the United States. Even, the despite in the, even despite the increase in food pantry options and shelters, food security has not been achieved. It still has remained unchanged in the past few years. And you got to think, we're talking about a quarter of our nation in poverty. We're talking about most people, 22 million people, are have children, 22 million people with children are finding themselves not being able to adequately feed those children. Whereas we have even higher, those that don't have children, so that makes the number even higher. We take all of the people who are hungry, that's an even higher number. We have almost 40 million people walking around not sure of their next meal. When the numbers get like that, and on the flip side, we have the numbers where we're Billionaires and millionaires, but we also have people living in total poverty at a greater number than they ever did. We have to ask ourselves, how did we get here? Growing up, one of my favorite pastimes was model car building. Yes, model car building is fascinating and it's a rewarding hobby. I don't consider myself much of an artist, but this allowed me to be able to explore my interest in automobiles, which is deep. Also, I got to look at the history of these automobiles, the craftsmanship, and I got to use some of my skills in painting and other areas so I had to learn, I had to get better because I'm not a great artist in that way. But I was able to customize cars, build cars, and it gave me a creative outlet. If you're looking into that, you can choose between various scales from small to large and different levels of complexity. It's a great way to showcase your attention to detail and it requires a heck of a lot of patience but it results in beautiful replicas 
that you can proudly display. Some of which I have to this day. I have a black 72 Corvette that I painted and built when I was a kid. Now, modern car hobbyists often start by selecting a specific type of vehicle that they're passionate about. For me, it was Corvettes and sports cars. I always like the, the older lines of those sports cars. I mean, the, the, the older models, not so much the newer ones because they seem more like straight lines. Or, but I like the curves. So I like those classic cars. I even like the trucks and race cars and some that were futuristic designs when I was a kid back then. And we see cars shaped like that now. But when I was a kid, I was like, oh, that car looks like an egg. Well, <laughs> that's what we have on the road today. I also had various scales, and they're still available at 118th scale, 124, 143. Those are the usual uh, models, but they, they've got some even bigger nowadays. You can get some huge scale cars, and they're not all plastic like they used to be back in the day. Now you've even got the metal ones that you can put together and, and paint. Yes, you can get deep into this hobby, explore different building techniques. There's some for beginners that are like snap together kits. And that's a lot more fun if you're a beginner because it's not as tedious. But then as you get advanced, you then learn how to paint, glue, and it can get very intricate, especially when you're doing the engine and transmission assemblies. A lot of hobbyists customize their models with aftermarket parts and decals, and they do all kind of different, maybe racing paint jobs. Make the cars unique. There's a lot of shows out there too, and exhibitions that connect with fellow enthusiasts, and you can showcase your creations. I've gone to some of these shows just to learn from these experienced builders. Nowadays, you don't even have to go anywhere. We have online communities and forums that provide a platform to share tips and tricks and progress updates. Additionally, researching the history and technical details of the real life cars you're modeling can deepen your understanding and appreciation of the hobby. While I was putting those engines together, I learned so much about an engine. I learned the cubic inch and I learned, learned what each part does. But once you begin to accumulate that collection and you get meticulous, meticulously involved in crafting those cars, it's a reflection of your dedication. It's also a reflection of your passion for the art. See, the key to this hobby is to take your time. Embrace the learning process and have fun bringing your favorite cars to life. There's some things that I just really never got into. There are individuals who took techniques like leathering the seats, things like that. I could never get it. I know a dude that he actually put headliners in his model car. He he brought details all the way to his home. He had working lights, steering mechanisms. He could build a couple of them where he made the engine sound like it was realistic, like it was running for real. He turned a press a button and the car sounded like it was going to take off. Now, that's when you get really good 
But if you start now, if it's a hobby that you'd like to take on and you start with a little snap car, you can go as far as he goes because you get to learn the techniques over time. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced builder, there's always going to be something new to learn and experiment with. And that is what makes this a truly fulfilling and enjoyable pastime. Sunflower message is a beautiful poem. In life's sun-kissed embrace, happiness resides, a beacon of joy where our heart's song abides. A gentle breeze of laughter, a dance of light, a moment so fleeting yet eternally bright. It's found in a smile, a shared embrace, in life's simple wonders, a tender grace. In friendships that bloom like flowers in spring and the melodies of love that our hearts sing. Happiness resides in the everyday, in nature's beauty and the sky so gray. It's a choice we make, a perspective we hold, a treasure more precious than silver or gold. So let's cherish the moments, both big and small, for happiness resides within us all. Embrace the journey, let worries be tossed in the tapestry of life. Let happiness be embossed. Beautiful words. We want to make an announcement that we will be getting newsletters out to the many of you that have sent in your emails. We encourage the rest of you to go on to admin at livelaughtalk.com and submit your email so we can send the first newsletters out to you. In addition to that, one of our listeners, one of our fans, has created swag. Yes, she's created t-shirts and coffee mugs, as well as tote bags and other types of swag. All you have to do is go on to Etsy, etsy.com, type in, how did we get here? That's what she named the swag. She's got our segment there beautifully embraced on her items. T-shirts are absolutely gorgeous and all of the swag. How do we get here on the front with the Live, Laugh, Talk logo? And it's also uh, has the website as well as other information on the back. I think you will find them absolutely gorgeous. Again, Etsy.com. How did we get here? And you will be able to see the swag. On Cash App, dollar sign, Live, Laugh, Talk, and on Twitter at Live, Laugh, Talk, or also on Spotify, press the dollar button and donate to support our podcast. We need it. Things are expensive. Any and everything that you can do is appreciated. Also, another way to support us is to rate us on your podcast platform as high as you can. Third way to donate and help us is to tell your friends. We need as many listeners as possible. We want to continue to grow this thing and we're seeing it grow. It's happening almost overnight, but we know it's due to the love that you have shown 
and the word of mouth that you're giving to our community. And we need it and we thank you. This is James and George's baby boy signing off. And as you know, I can't wait to talk with you again soon.